You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team, every day for Wednesday, February 15th. As always, I am your host with sometimes occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You might be familiar with some of my baseball-related work at Just Baseball. Great website. Go check that out. Working on a feature for about an eternity now that I'm hoping to eventually get done, hopefully, if I don't procrastinate too much. Um, go check that out uh, at JustBaseball.com, or you could check me out on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres for all your, your, your Padres fix when it comes to the tweets, and I know I've been using that account more. Um, ladies and gentlemen, got a fun little episode today. Feels like this is one that folks have been asking for. I mean, it feels like an episode that people are always asking for, and that is the kind of overall view of the offseason. What did the Padres do going through all the notable moves, not necessarily every minor league move, we don't have you know, all the time in the world for that, and quite frankly, I do not know about every minor leaguer in the world. We're going to be talking about that, guys. Just a reminder, though, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. All right. Let's go through these moves, ladies and gentlemen. And what I think is important to note about the Padres offseason is that, look, man, it just shows you, like, I still, look, I'm still old enough to remember when the Padres didn't do too much in 2021, uh, that offseason. You know, coming off of the most disappointing second half in not just franchise history, but almost any franchise's history, the 2021 collapse was real. It was absolutely awful. All these people saying the Mets collapsed. No, 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 no. That wasn't a collapse. All these people saying, oh, the Yankees, they collapsed. They almost lost it. No, 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 that's not a collapse. The Falcons, 28 to 3. That was a collapse. Okay, that one was a collapse. But you get my point, right? This was a genuine collapse. And how did they respond? By not doing all that much. They traded for Sean Mania like the day or at least like the week of the regular season, right? They didn't make too many crazy moves heading into the offseason and the biggest thing that happened was the announcement that Tatis was going to be injured so there weren't there, there just wasn't a lot to be thrilled about with this Padres team last year and you were wondering what the heck man we're really counting on a lot of guys to just break out is AJ Preller out of it is he just not going to be able to make moves again and that team turned out great I say all this to note that the Padres did a lot of big-time moves this offseason. And just because you did a lot of moves does not necessarily, uh, you know, equate to super success. Um, I think that's not meant to say that teams that uh, historically never do anything should continue doing that, right? Your Brewers, your Guardians, your Tampa Bay Rays, your Baltimore Orioles. That's bad for baseball. But it is just worth pointing out that, hey, there's still a lot to be seen. And I think that it's a very foolish endeavor to start assuming Certain things about a lot of teams, you know, I remember just being in, in baseball drafts and fantasy baseball drafts, like heading into 2021, where I'm with some league mates and they're like, hey, don't draft any, uh, gotta be careful with drafting these Giants pitchers, man, because when they play the Padres, they're going to get hit, you know, and it's like, turns out that wasn't the case with the Padres offense. So anything can happen. But that all being said, ladies and gentlemen, the Padres made one heck of a move this offseason. And it's the one that everyone's going to talk about, but 
I th- and we're going to start with it, don't get me wrong, but this offseason, I think what was really great about it is that they added in every single area, and they added solid in every single area, in my opinion. I think that they kind of did a full roster kind of, you know, thing. I think that Peter Seidler and ownership deserves a lot of credit. I think AJ Preller deserves a lot of credit. I think everybody deserves credit because they won a bunch of games, they beat two 100-win teams in the playoffs, and the team did not say, okay, we're content with that. There are a lot of teams that would say, we're content with that. Let's see if we can do it again next year. Instead, the Padres, they went out, and we're going to start with this one, signing Xander Bogarts. That is easily the biggest signing that the Padres made this offseason. Everybody was talking about it, and it was wild. And this is it's what's funny to note, and we're going to talk about this on a future episode on former Padres targets, right? People that they missed out on. But, you know, Aaron Judge was someone that they apparently were at least talking to. And Trey Turner, they had actually made an offer, uh, an offer that was more than what he ended up accepting. And I think what's so interesting about the Xander Bogarts contract, aside from the fact that when it happened, I genuinely just, my eyes popped out of my skull. Because my whole thing this offseason was, let's go after Conforo. Let's go after, you know, a a Mitch Hanniger. Let's go after, um, you know, the more low-key options. And instead, they did absolutely not do that. Maybe get Gene Segura or something like that, right? And they didn't do that. Instead, they signed Xander Bogarts to an 11-year, $280 million contract, almost a thousand. And it's the biggest signing, arguably, of almost the entire offseason. Almost. There was a lot of big moves made, don't get me wrong. But this is the one that I feel like generated the most headlines because it showed the Padres are not done, right? They are going to keep spending. And to me, this was a great contract. I understand that Xander Bogarts, at age 30, this is going to take him to his 42nd year, right? The big old 42. We're going to have him and Darvish out here. And a lot of people are wondering, are his skills going to translate? But my response to that is that's you wonder that about every free agent, though, that you sign long-term. And I think that, in fairness to Xander Bogarts, the guy is basically, bar none, the most consistent player in baseball. This is a guy who hasn't had an F4 lower than, if I'm not mistaken, like a 3.9 basically every year. And last year, he had his biggest season, which makes you slightly cautious just because, oh, of course, you have your be- your best season during your, your contract year. But even still, it had some good signs, and the biggest sign was, on top of just the offense being as steady as they come, and being a really clutch batter, he's been on winning teams before, the defense from Xander Bogarts. According to Fangraphs, he had a 9 defensive rating last year that helped contribute to the fact that he's 6.1 F4, right? But even before that, 4.4, 5.9, 4.4, 4.6, 3.9, this guy has had really good F4 seasons, right? He stays healthy. He's everything. He is a genuine superstar type of free agent. And if you want to look at you know, more fielding stats and whatnot, his outs above average were gate last year. I am curious to see, and I think this is what's going to matter for the early part of the contract, can he still provide elite or at least very good defense? He's never been a super-duper minus. I don't want to say that. This is not a Corey Seager. This is not some other shortstops out there. This isn't, I don't know why I thought of him, but Ian Desmond back when he played shortstop for the Nationals. But it certainly wasn't his strength. And another thing to point out is that Xander Bogarts doesn't, didn't really hit for a lot of home run power last year. And coming to Petco Park, that doesn't necessarily bode well uh, for him being able to increase that immediately. This is a guy who's hit 30 home runs before, but usually he's more of a 20 home run guy per se. And last year, 15 bombs. This is a dude who's going to get you doubles. He's going to at least slug a little bit, but it's not going to be a home run guy. But I think that overall, just getting a plus bat with the potential, assuming how much you know was legitimate from last year, 
Xander Bogarts is the biggest addition, and while the contract length does scare me, that's something to worry about later. What I do think is also very important to note about Xander Bogarts, and don't worry, we're going to talk about more than just Xander Bogarts this offseason, is the fact that it points to the idea of what's going to happen with Manny, what's going to happen with Soto, what's going to happen with Tatis and all these guys. Was the Xander Bogarts contract something that foreshadows future moves from the Padres? Or is this basically them saying, ah, Manny might leave, so we want to have this guy and Tatis? Or does it mean, eh, we really only think we're going to get Soto for two more years? Which, by the way, is awesome. It means that your window is now. I think Soto's going to be absolutely stupidly good this year. But it is worth pointing out. I wonder if the reason they were willing to commit this much money is because they know, or at least have an idea, that maybe they're not going to be able to keep this core all together for much longer, right? And they want to just say, at least we got this guy. You got Darvish. You got Musgrove. You got Tatis. Maybe if we are able to, you get Manny Machado too locked up. So we're going to see. The reason Soto might be a little bit unlikely, hey, I mean, it, he declined 14 years, $450 million. That, ain't, that ain't no uh, slouch contract, you know what I'm saying? So we're going to see how that all pans out. But that's the biggest signing of the offseason by far, and I really like it. I don't want to say I love it because I think that there are some other moves the Padres could have potentially made. But considering that that's a big-time offensive addition and you are going to get another one, in The Goober, which you can check out. Remember, guys, the bobblehead. Link in the description of the podcast. I know that's not technically what they did this offseason, but they are adding, technically, for next year, Xander Bogarts and Fernando Tatis Jr. Two top... Like, the Padres have four MVP candidates in the top 15. And currently three in the top 10, according to FanDuel. That's wild. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Xander Bogarts, that signing is kind of what started making the Padres look like a super team. And I think that's what was so exciting about it. And it reminded everyone, yeah, this was no flash in the pan. This just seems to be the new way of the San Diego Padres organization. And for that and alone, it's like an A- minus or anything for me. We're going to see how it ages. There are some worrisome things. But still, I can't wait. But before we talk about the rest of the additions that were made, the additions that, you know, especially on offense, we're going to talk about those. And then we're going to talk about pitching. Before we get into that, ladies and gentlemen, let me just take a second to tell you about what I just alluded to before. I just alluded to it before. FanDuel, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah, it's good. You know, it's real, real good. It's the official sports betting partner of Locked On. It's fantastic. And guess what? The NBA season, we're at the midway point. Maybe you want to put up some bets. They've got you covered there because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained in the case of the uh, the NBA. So absolutely check that out, ladies and gentlemen. And I alluded to it earlier. Just might to put it out there. According to uh, FanDuel right now, the NL MVP odds, Juan Soto at plus 550, Mookie Betts 950, Paul Goldschmidt 950, Ronald Cooney Jr. at plus 1,000. Fernando Tatis Jr. at plus 1,000. Nolan Arenado at 1,000. Manny Machado at 1,000. Trey Turner at 1,200. Freddie Freeman at plus 1,300. And Pete Alonso at plus 1,400. I will say, hey, y'all want to leave a comment and roast me? Go ahead. Fernando Tatis Jr. having the fifth best MVP odds. I know it's exciting, but I think I would stay a little bit away from that one just because he is coming back from an injury. I don't know what how voters feel about steroids and whatnot, he would have to be gargantuanly good. And I think he's going to be great. 
but is he going to be a seven war player great or is he going to be like a a 4.4 great i think it's more of the latter. so i would be careful of that but i'm still really excited guys but anyway seriously Baseball is almost around the corner, but you have basketball right now, so don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. And we keep it moving, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Oh, man. The Dodger tears, man. Just thirst-quenching every time. Let's talk about more of the offense. And the the offensive additions outside of Xander Bogarts, there's still some interesting stuff here. Um, we're going to get out one out of the way, which is Adam Engel. Adam Engel got brought over to the Padres. This is a dude who has basically never hit before. The only time he has ever hit in a way that wasn't, you know, uh, borderline atrocious was his 2021 season uh, in which he slashed 252, 336, 496. Sounds good, right? Yeah, but it was only in 39 games. So Adam Engel is not a guy that the Pirates should be expecting all that much from. This is a signing that is just for depth purely, and he is a guy that is going to hopefully provide some defense. Really all to say about Adam Engel, I know he's not super old, but I think we know what he is at this point. Not expecting too much. It's just a backyard, backyard, somewhat backyard, a background signing that if Grisham goes down, if a Zokar goes down, or if just Grisham goes down for a long time, you at least get to put Adam Engel out there, and hopefully, hey, maybe they'll have pitching coaches and batting coaches help him out, but he's going to provide you, hopefully, some decent defense in the outfield. Reminds me a little bit of when the Padres traded for, god dang it, what is his name? They traded Anderson Espinosa for him, Jake Marisnik, I believe, uh, which was a move that was made to hopefully just give the Padres some defense and at least a bat that can occasionally do some stuff. That didn't really happen, but I think that's what they're hoping for here, and considering that... Uh, Adam Engel wasn't the like third biggest thing that happened at the deadline. It's a lot more fine when you look at it in that respect, right? Because the Jake Marisnik was legitimately in 2021, like the third biggest addition that the Padres made or the biggest addition after missing out on Scherzer. The Adam Frazier thing was the biggest thing. So hey, whatever on that front. The other additions that are the biggest though, that we have to talk about are Matt Carpenter and Nelson Cruz, two signings that I'm really a fan of when you also take into account all the other things that they did, right? This is not a Kansas City where Nelson Cruz would have been the only addition that team made. Just to take a shot at my boy Ryla, who's been on the podcast a lot lately. But let's talk about um, Matt Carpenter first. Matt Carpenter last year had done some genuinely mythological things. And I'm not kidding when I say that. Um... He didn't make any sense. <laughs> he really didn't. There was a point when he was had one of the best slugging percentages in the history of baseball up there with like a Ted Williams and Babe Ruth. Um, it didn't make a lot of sense. It really didn't. He totally revitalized his career with the Yankees. And it was something to behold. It really was. Um, and I think that... What was I going to say? Um... I think that Carpenter was one of those low-key signings and low-key free agents that a lot of baseball fans were really curious to see how it went, right? They were like, oh my God, like that's a potential hidden gem. My feeling on the matter is this is such a great player for the Padres to be able to move, move around. I think it's going to be interesting to see how many like at-bats 
Matt Carpenter gets, or more specifically, how much time he gets in the infield or the outfield. Is he a guy that they want to stick in the infield sometimes? Do they want to slot him at third base? Or more likely, do they want to put him at third base? and Or, I'm sorry, at left field. Totally, we don't know necessarily. He's not going to be a big guy on defense. He's super old, and that's fine. And even when he was in his prime, that wasn't necessarily what he was known for. He's not fast, right? That's not what he's going to do. But this past season, the fact that this guy went out <laughs> and did what he did, which is just like, I still can't get over this. In 2022, and granted, in just 47 games, he slashed 305 with a 412 on base and slugged 727, which was good for an OPS of 11, <laughs> over 1100. Over 1,000. He was just absolutely broken. He had uh, 15 home runs in just 47 games. Again, it's just... It doesn't make any sense uh, what Matt Carpenter did. The thing that I think is interesting about this is I am hoping that Matt Carpenter is a guy that the Padres brought in there because they're like, he could be the DH sometimes. He could play left field sometimes. Maybe they want to mix and match. Maybe they want to put, you know, a Zokar in center or maybe, you know, when Grisham is off, whatever. They're going to maneuver things. Bob Melvin is a capable enough manager and this front office has shown that they have a lot of trust in him that I think it's okay. I do trust them to... Maneuver this, and especially with the guy we're about to talk about in Cruz, I'm okay with it. I don't. I'm not worried about you know the Padres' depth right now. And I think that while yes, don't get me wrong, um, there are some questions about the Padres' outfield. Who's going to play where, especially when Tatis gets back? I just think that this is the most like insane thing, uh, like insane run that a player has ever had. And I think it's a worthy investment for the Padres. Um, it is worth mentioning though. This is really, truly almost out of nowhere. Now, it's not out of nowhere in the sense that he randomly became a stolen base speed guy at age, like, 30, hold on, however old he is. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, this isn't that type of insane. But for him to revitalize his career after having multiple, and I mean multiple, down seasons, and it wasn't only injury-related. Matt Carpenter didn't only struggle. He played 129 games. He played 156, 130. In 2020, he played 50. And those years, guys, he hit below 200 some of those years. Um, his last great year was, uh, let's see here, it was, ba -ba -ba -ba, it was 2018 when he smacked 36 home runs. So that's where the interesting part of this is, if you're going to be making a case for Carpenter. He's always had some type of power, for sure. He's always been a doubles machine. I think that's one thing that he was known for more, especially in 2013 when he hit 55 of them, um, you know, back in his super prime. But for the most part, you know, Matt Carpenter at least done something similar like this before. He didn't transform his skill set as a player. But one thing that I don't love is that a lot of the home runs he hit were to the short porch in right field. Um, and that makes me a little bit nervous. I'm not saying that that doesn't mean there isn't value in just getting extra bases and drawing some walks, not chasing really bad pitches because he wasn't, and just really clutch hits that he was doing for the Yankees. But in 47 games, and for it all to be in one of the most notorious like ballparks when it comes to offense in that short porch for Yankee Stadium, the fact that basically all of his home runs went there with the exception of like a couple is not a great sign in terms of just will it translate going forward in Petco Park, which is a lot more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark. That's what I'm worried about. Again, I still think that there's some really exciting stuff. I mean, Matt Carpenter was literally fifth on the Yankees in F4 at one point. <laughs> like, he was just ridiculous what he was doing. Um, and I think that as a guy who isn't going to necessarily play every day, it's a really interesting bench bat. And I like that. You could argue that Matt Carpenter right now is one of the biggest X-Factor bench bats 
in all of baseball. And that's what's so exciting about him. So I was a big fan of that signing. Quickly, though, we got to talk about Nelson Cruz because I am already taking a long time talking about all these guys. Nelson Cruz did not have a good year last year. He is super duper old, but he is one of the most incredible stories in terms of you talking about revitalizing. This guy got popped for steroids back in the day with the Rangers and then got better the years after, which kind of throws, you know, makes you think a little bit about how we view uh, PED sometimes. But for me, Nelson Cruz, the most exciting thing about him, his skills dwindled. But he was on a crappy Nationals team. Crappy, crappy Nationals team. And apparently he had some eye issues. He had some eye surgery issues. So that might have been a big part of this. And he's not going to necessarily be an everyday player. I think the fact that you can mix and match him, maybe you can platoon him, right? You can use him some days. You can use Carpenter some other days. I really like that. And I think Cruz, as a veteran presence for this team, is also going to be awesome. Uh, He's going to be, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's playing in the World Baseball Classic. Um, can't wait for it. Um, and also apparently a really big fan of maps. Uh, he loves that. Apparently he like asked for a nap room when he signed with the twins back in, in like 2018 or whatever it was. So love to hear that. So overall, I think the Padres added quite a lot of really exciting players on offense. I think they had a really good offseason from that perspective, but now we got to talk about the pitching and the pitching I think is where there's going to be more questions about the Padres. Let's start with their biggest one. Their biggest signing that they made um, in the offseason when it came to pitching is Robert Suarez. Robert Suarez is a reliever, and he is a great story. This guy debuted at 30. He'd been bouncing around, trying to just make it into the majors, and he absolutely does. And then he kind of has one of the more inauspicious starts to a career uh, that I've ever seen, at least for the Padres, just because the Padres, you know, following the collapse and all these things, he comes in, blows a save his first game, barely even get, I don't even think they get an out, and it was against the D-backs, and it was embarrassing, and I went into the Joker mode and everything. But this past year, man, oh, he was money. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen. And speaking of the money, by the way, let me just remind you guys what he got. Five-year contract through the 2027 season, worth $46 million. That's an average annual value of $9.2 million. Makes him one of the 10 or so highest paid relievers in baseball. And while that might scare you, I think this was really, really smart. First of all, I already mentioned to you, Robert Suarez was freaking phenomenal. This is a guy who throws hard. He's a guy that is an elite setup man and arguably the best setup man in all of baseball right now. I, I genuinely do believe that. I think there's some other good guys out there, don't get me wrong, but... I think that Robert Suarez, on top of it just being incredibly easy to root for, he just had a couple of bad blow-ups that stuck in Padres fans' minds and some other fans' minds, right? He had one halfway through the season. He had one first game of the season. And then he had the Bryce Harper home run, which I think wasn't necessarily his fault. I put that a little bit more on Melvin. I think Josh Hader should have faced him because Suarez had literally already pitched um, an inning before that. But let me tell you, man. Let me tell you. Uh... Robert Suarez was fantastic last year. 2.27 ERA. His expected stats, only 3.27. He had an excellent strikeout percentage. He was awesome. Awesome. And I think getting him now, the reason why I like the signing so much, is because I think the Padres know Josh Hader is going to be awesome this year. At least they think he might be. And Josh Hader has the name value, and he has the more longer period of sustained success. So their thing is, hey, 
You saw what Edwin Diaz got paid. They think he's going to get paid something like that, especially in a contract year. He's going to be motivated. So let's go get Robert Suarez right now at what will end up being a discount for a guy that might actually secretly already be one of the like 12 best relievers in baseball or maybe better. Rob, Josh Hader might be making like 15 million next year for multiple years. And I think they figured let's just jump on this now before people realize that Robert Suarez is that good. So that's why I really like the signing. I know it's a little freaky that he had one year and they already committed to him at age 31. I know I get it, but four years and it's going to be a lot less than what Josh Hader ends up getting. I think if you look at it from that perspective, that's awesome. You lock down a reliever. And I think with this Padres pitching staff locking down and really kind of building on that bullpen is going to be huge. Right? You've got Drew Pomerantz, who is phenomenal. Uh, but the problem with him is that he hasn't been healthy. Um, let me just remind you guys, um, though. I tweeted this out yesterday. Not a lot of people liked it. Drew Pomerantz, his last 44 and a thirds innings, he has a 1.62 ERA, a 33% strikeout rate, and a one a .181 opponent batting average against him. Problem is that he hasn't pitched in 552 days. So that's the big issue there. But here's what I'm trying to allude to. There's a world where the Padres can have Drew Pomeranz, Robert Suarez, Josh Hader. Woo! That's dynamite, guys. And not to mention there's some sleeper potential and guys like Steven Wilson. All that together makes me really like this Robert Suarez signing. Again, I don't know if I'm over the roof about it, but I do think when you take into account that I think Josh Hader's going to be gone and I think he's going to make a ton of money elsewhere, that's why I really like it. Next signing is Nick Martinez. Um, and again, I got to go through these a little bit faster. Nick Martinez, um, I infamously thought that it was a bad signing best offseason. Um, I thought there were better players. I liked Alex Cobb. I liked Alex Wood, which I was definitely wrong about. And I liked, I believe, Tyler Anderson more. Here's the thing. What I like about Nick Martinez is his attitude. His numbers do not jump off the page. But he's a gamer, and he can go deep into games sometimes. And he can be a long-inning reliever. He's the Swiss Army knife of this Padres pitching staff. That's what I like about him. You need him for a start sometimes, he'll do it. Might not be incredible. He might walk a couple batters, not get many strikeouts, give up a couple hard hits and whatnot, but he'll battle and he'll probably give you five innings. That's still something. And then when he's in the bullpen, this guy's ERA just completely changes. I'm talking a two-run difference, a 4.5 to a 2.3 type of difference. Like it's that level. At least it's around that level. I don't have the numbers in front of me. My apologies, guys. But I don't mind this signing for the Padres. I think he's a Swiss Army Knife guy, and I think having that dude on your team is great. He clearly wanted to stay with the Padres by all accounts, and that's always good. Love to have a guy who still wants to be a part of what the Padres are building. The only reason that the Nick Martinez signing could be viewed as poor is if you're like, wow, you're really counting a lot on him being your fourth starter and the next guy, Seth Lugo, being your fifth starter, right? Having both of those guys, and we talked about this on yesterday's episode, so I won't uh, you know, talk about it too much, but the Padres were basically until a couple days ago banking on either Martinez, Lugo, Morejon, Taran, Groom, Near to fill out those four and five spots. Now they're in a position because of the signing of Michael Walker, which we'll briefly go over in a second. Because of that, they don't have to necessarily worry about that. They just need that last guy to fill in that five spot. Maybe it's a piggyback thing. Maybe it's Seth Lugo plus Nick Martinez for the fifth spot. Maybe Adrian Mortajon finally has that breakout that we've been hoping for. Heck, maybe Julio Tehran randomly becomes good again. I don't know. Brent Honeywell, another signing that the Padres made, who's basically a a, a little bit of a, 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 a bust player. He was a former top prospect, but always hurt. 
doesn't seem to have all that much and just, you know, there's not much to say about Brent Honeywell, but I think that the signing of Nick Martinez is solid. Don't love it. It feels like the Padres almost did it because they had to. And he did have an excellent postseason, which I am always a little bit wary when guys uh, do awesome in the postseason. You kind of reward them for that just because we've seen in the past for how long a baseball season is. I do worry about that. I just like Nick Martinez. I remember um, after one of my initial podcasts about him, someone who had a Martinez last name was like, hey, man, if you want your own show, you know, shove it. He throws heat. He did so much better in Japan League and he, he throws harder. He creases velocity. What's funny about that comment is three, two weeks later, about three weeks before the season, I changed my tune on Martinez. And I think the bottom line is he fills in what he's supposed to do, right? This is not a guy who has to go out there and be a superstar. And I think in that respect, he did pretty well. Um, Michael Waka, I talked about in yesterday's episode. I think he's got a lot of issues. I do not like how um, he's just a change-up guy. I do not like that he does not man- man- um, manage to stay all that healthy only once as he pitched over 130 innings over the past few years. doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. His big thing is walks, and he'll hopefully give the Padres innings. That's how I view that signing, and that's fine. And it goes to what I was saying before about how, okay, we don't, we don't need as many breakouts as we did, and that changes everything, even if it's just one pitching spot. Um, other big signing that the Padres made is Seth Lugo. Wow. What I will say about Seth Lugo is the same thing about Nick Martinez in the sense that he's kind of clearly been shown to be better as a relief pitcher. He did excellent with the Mets. Not necessarily, you know, Josh Hader or Drew Pomeranz excellent, but... Uh, he did have a couple really good seasons, including a 2.2 F4 season, by the way, with the Mets, and a 1.6 and a 1.6 before that. He's had some pretty solid, you know, bullpen years. Um, even if, you know, some of the ERA numbers get a little bit inflated, ERA isn't necessarily the best thing to look at for relief pitchers sometimes. It does scare you because it can just, it can get inflated a little bit, as Josh Hader has shown you recently, right? Like his got really inflated last year. But overall, high strikeout guy, He's been that way for a while. The Mets fine-tuned him. I don't know how he's going to work as a starting pitcher. I don't even know if he's going to have many games as a starting pitcher. If it works, it works, right? But I think that that guy could be awesome in the bullpen, and I wonder if a lot of what his role, same thing for Martinez to an extent, might have to do with the health of Drew Pomeranz. If he's ready to go somewhat early into the season and he's pitching well, then they might be like, okay, cool. We can just move Lugo or Martinez to the bullpen. That's what I like about those signings. These are guys that at least, even if they don't work as starting pitchers, you have notable, like, a, a giant sample size of them succeeding in the bullpen, especially with Seth Lugo. So that's why I like those signings. And that's basically it for the main signings for the Padres that I wrote down. Um, I, I mentioned Brent Honeywell, and there's there's some other little signings that the Padres made. But for the most part, this is the one. We're going to see how spring training pans out. I am a little bit upset that Eggy Rosario, he's hurt, and I thought he was going to be one of the most interesting guys to keep an eye on uh, in spring training. It doesn't look like he's going to make it, which is such a shame, given that he would have more opportunities. So thoughts out to my guy. Um, hopefully he can bounce back. Um, considering the, um, the the vacancies because of the World Baseball Classic and seemingly every Padre going to it, that's that's one thing to keep in mind. But for me, I think the Padres' offseason is an A- right now. I really do, and I don't like to go super high on off-seasons, but for me, (coughs) I like that the Padres said, look, let's not just be content with Tatis coming back. Let's not not just be content with that. Our farm system, we blew it up for Soto. 
And we might not know if Soto's going to be able, we're going to be able to re-sign him. We don't know if we're going to be able to re-sign Manny Machado. So instead of just sitting there and deciding, let's just run it back and hope that the Tatis addition alone is going to be great, they go out and get Xander. They go out and re-sign Nick Martinez. They get Seth Lugo. They get Michael Waka. And they bring in some really solid batter, batters off the bench that hopefully, if things go right, if it really was just the eye surgery stuff with Nelson Cruz, some good power off the bench. And that's one of the things that the Padres really need is power. Overall, they just need offense because last year they were stringing together wins with a lot of random players. I mean, remember when Luke Voigt was a Padre? He's, he's not random, but he feels random. And Trent Grisham is hitting below 200. Jake Cronenworth wasn't hitting all that well. I think he's, he's going to be better this season, or at least I hope he will be. Instead, you have some guys that have a little bit more upside in the power department, and you have a Xander Bogarts who could potentially be a, a two-ways player, depending on how legit his defensive numbers were in a contract year this past season. So for me, it's an A-, minus, B plus at the lowest. I, I really love this offseason for the Padres. I like that it wasn't just Bogarts. I like that they made hopefully some smart additions in Lugo and in um, Carpenter and Lugo especially. Hold on. I just said that twice. And Suarez, uh, respectively, right? Like, I, I really do like them. And I think they did do enough this offseason. Um, I think that they did about as much as you could do, um, especially considering that their farm system is a little bit blank right now. Jackson Merrill's not going to be up for a while. Dylan Lesko, he's a shot in the dark. We're hoping it can become something, but we don't fully know. I think the Padres farm system is going to be very interesting to monitor as the season goes along because if some guys start heating up, if people start gaining some traction, it's happened before. New York Yankees are exhibit A. Not too long ago, that system was in like the bottom 20 for a lot of people. And now everyone's like Oswaldo Peraza and Anthony Volpe and um, what's his name? The, the Martian guy, um, Jason Dominguez, right? All of a sudden, the Yankees have like a top farm system. These things can change quickly. So even though there are some holes on this Padres roster, as with basically any roster, <coughs> except for like the Houston Astros, apparently, I think that there, it's going to be a really key thing to keep in mind, keep in mind, keep an eye on the Padres uh, farm system and seeing how guys develop. Will Ryan Weathers start getting traction? Maybe he gets called up again. Or like I've been joking about, was he just the luckiest first half rookie of all time? I don't know. But I think in terms of what the Padres did this offseason... I like it. I do. And I don't think that there was any single addition here that freaks me out. I think there were some other signings that a lot of teams made that freaked me out. I think Andrew Benintendi freaked, freaked me out. For the White Sox, that's a player that the Padres certainly could have signed. I think that there were a lot out there. I think Jacob deGrom scares me. That that shoulder stuff really scares me. I'm not blaming the Rangers for, t for taking a shot, but it scares me. Um, it really does. And I think the Padres got a bunch of players that make a lot of sense for this team, and they're going for it. And you have to give them a lot of props for that, even if there are some concerns. I mentioned Matt Carpenter's pulled, pulled ball data. I mentioned the fact that Xander Bogarts didn't hit for a lot of power and his defense came a little bit out of nowhere. But the bottom line is you did as much as you could. And considering you also get Tatis back, that could be seven, there could be six F4 season out of Soto. There could be a four out of Tatis, a five out of Manny, a four out of Bogarts. And that's not even taken into account if you can get anything offensively from Grisham or if Hassan Kim keeps improving or if Jake Cronenworth gets back to what he was in 2021 and 2020. This is a World Series contender, straight up. And I'm really curious and I can't wait for opening day. It's going to be a blast and I can't wait. Can't wait. Blah, 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 blah.
can't wait to keep talking about it. What an offseason, ladies and gentlemen, and honestly, an offseason that I did not quite expect, especially considering how much money they already had tied, tied up and the fact that they've literally traded for Juan Soto and Josh Hader not too long ago. But ladies and gentlemen, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres. Follow the Lockdown Padres channel on YouTube, trying to rack up that subscriber count as we get closer to opening day. If you want to see my silly face or whatever shirt I'm wearing, please leave a comment if you know what it's from, and I will give you a heart and maybe even a slice of Swiss cheese or something like that. I don't know. I'll think of something. But, uh, yeah, guys, uh, total blast. And as always, um, you know, look forward to future episodes, by the way. Going to be doing a crossover with Ryland Styles tomorrow about our boy Eric Osmer because why not? I think it'll just be a little bit of fun. And all sorts of stuff get going on um, coming soon to your feed. And as always, stay safe. And, of course, stay faithful. My fire faithful on this. Take care. Come on, come on.